Welcome to the Guardians of Valhal Campaign Diaries. My name is Lizzie. I'm the DM of the game. And today we're going to be talking about um, episode four, part two of The Haunting of Meyerfield. This one is kind of a very interesting episode. I don't think I have tons to say about it. I always say that and then I have tons to say about it. But um, there's just a lot of little unique moments um and i know at the time i felt like there was a lot of i was trying to get the players to move on to the next area so i'm not sure if that i feel like that carried over a little bit into this episode but hopefully you guys still enjoyed it because there was some really good moments um um so yeah this episode starts off with them going back into the inn that they had planned to stay at for the night and uh taking a very necrotically wounded Hans and Franz up to bed so he can rest because he was very very close to dying last episode um and then Una and Nora going to sleep but Rowan is not able to go to bed because he basically um, got past a note in the middle of the game where I described it as when he heard the, the ghost shriek, it sounded like they were saying wheat. So he just kind of was like, okay, fixated on the wheat. Like, should we be going into the wheat? What's the, what's the deal with this? Um, and that might be, it's not, I don't think that's really spoilery at this point. Um, but that's kind of what triggered, uh, Rowan to be like, oh, let's go into the wheat. I'm curious what's going on here. Um, and he explained it as like, he didn't know why. And I, I think it would make sense that he would explain it that way. Because if you heard a ghost talk, you wouldn't necessarily assume that's what happened, you know, or you would you probably question it because you're like I wasn't expecting this to happen I don't know what's going on uh maybe we should go look at the wheat but anyway he's a little freaked out so he goes downstairs and and technically warforged don't have to sleep they kind of just go into like sentry mode so it's like they're they're scanning um and I guess the way I like to think about this is more than just a you know like an actual robot because Rowan is not an He's a warforged, but he's more of like a, an arborforged where he's more, he's an organic being. Um, and I think of it like some sea life, like I believe dolphins, like they have it where like part of their brain can be activated so they can keep moving because they have to keep resurfacing for air. But so like half their brain will be on and that will autopilot them to go up for air, but then they can still go to sleep. So I feel like that's kind of what a Warforged sentry mode is like, where they're like still awake, where they're aware of a little bit what's going on around them, but their brain is like still kind of like, you know, resting. Um, but yeah, he goes downstairs to get a drink. And who does he find down there? But a, um, no, he doesn't go down to get a drink. Uh, he goes downstairs just because he can't sleep. And then he finds a Hans and Franz, uh, Josh's Hans and Franz specifically, uh, drinking and trying to, uh, come to terms with what happened during that fight because he was very, very close to his brother dying. And obviously that is a very stressful and scary 
thought for anybody with a sibling um, that they're close to. But yeah, um, Hans and Franz has reasons to be stressed that are more than just the thought of losing his brother, um, which is hard enough on its own. But um, I really enjoyed their conversation with each other because I feel like there is a lot of stuff in this game where there hasn't been a lot of serious moments yet. Um, and I, what I mean by that is like, most of this game has, I feel like been somewhat light in the beginning. You know, there's a lot more joking. The characters are getting to know each other, but, um, even though at the moment I was terrified as a DM of the thought of one of my players losing their characters so early in the game, and it put me into like a bit of a stressful situation, I actually think that it was good in the long run where, I mean, I'm not saying do this intentionally, but it added this level of gravity to these characters of like, Hey, you know, we almost lost somebody that we were kind of just getting to know and then also liked and respected, but then also, Hey, this guy almost lost like his brother, uh, like not just his brother, his twin brother. And he's kind of trying to cope with that. But one thing that's interesting in this conversation, other than, uh, Josh's Hans and Franz saying that he thinks his brother is key for keeping the Bendaya alive. Um, it's also kind of alluding to the fact, you know, why they are away from their tribe. Um, and it's for some very complicated and emotional reasons that will get revealed in the next episode. So I can't wait to talk about that. But for this one, it's it's the first time there's like a bit of a, there's some seeds planted about there might be deeper things lurking in the guy's stories. Um, and then also there's a lot of mystery kind of brought up about Rowan and Hans and Franz as somebody who likes to create things as a craftsman uh, finds Rowan very interesting. And Rowan, Rowan is a unique creature. He, there's not Warforged in my setting at all. Um, they don't really fit. So for Rowan to work, we kind of came up with something very special. And he is basically like a, um, the equivalent would be like a dryad, um, which if you don't know much about dryads from like mythology or in Dungeons and Dragons, um, they tend to be spirits of nature that are fae in origin. But in traditional means and also in my setting, like dryads don't just move around. Like they're kind of bound to a certain area and a certain like tree that is like sacred and if anything ever happens to that uh they would basically die so like if you were a kind of like um nymphs nymphs or nereids are basically the same where they're bound to bodies of water and if something were to happen to that body of water or if something were to happen to this flower grove that this um flower dryad was a part of or flower nymph was a part of um like it was all the flowers were dug up or it was burned or whatever then that that creature would be gone um but rowan is different because he's not like he's an organic tree but he also has like fitted parts and he can walk around like there's no like tree that he's bound to that you know protects him or keeps him safe so it's kind of a, he is a weird creature. Like there's nothing, there's nobody else like him that he's ever met before and that nobody else in the party has come across before. Um, 
And I think it's interesting that Hans and Franz seems to think that very much like his brother, it's his job to save his tribe. He also thinks that Rowan's specialness is a sign that it is his future to help their village from their forest dying, which that could be. Who knows? There's still a lot of mysteries to be had. Um, One thing that I also find very interesting about this conversation is I think it sets up like uh, in the very early episodes, Hans and Franz are like a unit. And the truth is, is they're not identical. They they are different other than their classes and their personalities. Um, there's, there's differences. Um, once you get past the accents and some of like the silly things they say together and the, the brother dynamic, there are very, secu- like there are v- differences. And one of the things that I find very interesting about Josh's Hans and Franz is he views it as it's his brother's job to save their tribe and he's supposed to just watch. And I found that throughout the campaign in general, there's a lot of times that Josh's Hans and Franz puts himself in the support role. And I think that's also because Josh likes playing support casters and characters. Like he tends to like to play characters that are crafting things, tinkering things and, um, you know, in the background, helping others succeed and reach their goals. And obviously right now he's very focused on having uh, his brother reach his goal. But I find that very interesting as like a um, dynamic of a twin relationship because it almost feels like he could unintentionally be putting himself to the sidelines instead of stepping forward when he could. And I just find that like, I don't want to keep saying interesting. I find that a bit kind of like sad in a way. And it's an interesting dynamic to Josh's character and how he plays Hans and Franz, where he tends to put him as like the second fiddle or I am not the hero. Like I will do heroic things, but I'm mainly there to support. And, you know, not everyone who plays D&D, like mostly you want to build characters that are supportive and designed to work well in a party. But I find it interesting that, um... For Hans and Franz, it's almost like he's he limits himself. Like, I can be the best B. I will be the best B, but it's not going to be I'm going to be the chief. Like, he won't, he won't take a position that would come into conflict with his brother. He doesn't seek to be better than his brother in some ways. And I, I'm curious because it's almost like he views his brother as like the hero of his tribe versus like both of them. So I'm actually really excited and curious to see what happens in the story. Like if, cause I, I want all of my players to have their moments where they feel heroic. And I do have something planned for, for Josh's Hans and Franz. And I think that it's important, like, Dean, everyone has different goals of what will make them feel like their characters feel heroic. But then also sometimes as the DM, you kind of have to look past what they say and actually think, what does this person actually really want? Like, or what do they need for the character? And then maybe orchestrate some things to kind of help test those Um things that maybe they think they want, but to what they actually need. Like, you know, Josh's Hans and Franz thinks he needs to just support his brother. Um, but what does it, what does Hans and Franz, Josh's character really need out of life? Is it just to always be support or is it, he needs to find his own path and identity a little bit outside his brother as his own person. 
Or is it something else completely different? I don't really know. And I'm very excited to kind of see that play out more in the game, Um, especially as they start interacting with the other party members more. Because when you're around your sibling constantly, you kind of get set into like a rut of like your old behaviors. But one of the best ways for changing that up and learning new parts of yourself is to be around new people with new ways of thinking about things. So I'm excited to see how being around the others rubs off on both of them. Um, The next morning, they kind of had a little bit of dallying around town and they had gifts from Steve. Now, Steve and I actually, like, immediately after the session ended, Steve's like, I think Song would want to give them gifts. And originally he was going to, like, make all of these things and send them. And then I'm like, well, what does he actually want to give them? And then we talked about it. And I was like, I actually think Song would have a lot of these on hand. So, um... He just left them in the morning for them to collect. And basically, uh, some more finer details about each of the gifts. So the the personalized wood carving tools are very appropriate for Rowan. Um, And Rowan has carpenter's tools, which are more for uh, making furniture and not doing his artistic work work when you do woodworking, but for... um, Steve's character, he had carving tools, which are more for like adding embellishments and more of the fine details. So it's kind of like an actual extra step for like Rowan to kind of show more of his artistic side. Um, Nora, obviously, it was so sad that Sam actually wasn't there for the session with Steve. I'm hoping that eventually Steve will get to make a cameo again in a song when, when Nora is physically there. But I love the book. I actually wrote some names for fairy tales in there. But I'm not going to read it now because uh, they come up again later in an episode. But one thing I will say, um, I was trying to hint to Sam there was a particular story that Song um, liked because there was a couple of other bookmarks in there, but she didn't quite notice it. But it's okay. It comes up later in a future future episode. Um, I think it's episode, it's either episode seven, part two or episode eight, part two. It's somewhere around there when they're traveling. I have to, I'd have to, you know, I'll find out when I'm listening to the campaign diaries that far ahead. Um, And uh, for the twins, their gift actually is another Celtic symbol (laughs) because I'm unoriginal and I like to bring things from reality into my games. But I based it off of, um, it's called Dara's Knot. um, And it's basically a rectangular or um, pointed, I guess depends on how it's turned, shape like a like a diamond. Um, wh- not a diamond. What is it where you, when you turn a square sideways, where it's like, you know, not exactly straight, it's it's tilted? And then, I'm sorry, I, I don't know my shapes. I, I failed, <laughs> I failed math and geometry. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but that, the uh, Dara's not in, um, a lot of Celtic mythology with what they can find. The Celts believed that um, Dara Dara was one of their, um, not, not like primordial deities, but like one of their deities that was like the father of a lot of the other deities and was known to be like big and strong and like I believe fought against some of the original invaders or was part of one of the original invaders group that came to Ireland in the, in the, in a lot of, um, 
Irish mythology. And basically, the reason why the knot is so interwoven into the square is it's supposed to kind of be like a shield, but it also is supposed to represent like an oak's roots, which for a lot of the Celts, even across like Ireland, Wales, England, and uh, like France and parts of Germany, like these like oak trees were kind of symbolic of being things of strength and protection. So it's symbolic of being a protective and like guarding symbol, I guess is how a lot of things, I, the things I've read about it think that's what it means. Um, but again, Celts didn't really write anything down. So they have to do a lot of, um, re- people who research this have to do a lot of like conjecture and research and trying to figure it out based on other clues. But that's kind of what they think it means. So that's what I'm borrowing it as. But um, it, it basically is a sign of like protection and strength. And I thought that was a really clever gift for Steve to give them because he wanted a, he wanted a necklace that would split in two that... Um, had that symbology. So when they break it in half, they each wear a half, but when they're together, it's stronger, which makes sense when you just look at like tree roots, you know, if you obviously cut roots in half, like they're not as strong, but if they're all wound together, then they are a very impossible force to beat, which, you know, I think is appropriate for both of them. And it was very appropriate after that fight with the specters. I don't remember who made the joke, but like, can you imagine if he had died and then he gave that as a gift? And I'm just like, oh my God, why did you say that? I'm so happy that didn't happen. That would have been absolutely heartbreaking. But yeah, this is kind of where I feel like the rest of the episode is a little bit um, meh for me in some ways. And it's because I really wanted them to get moving to go back to Feyen. And they were really insistent on like sticking around and looking for signs of this damn neck of a necromancer. Like, and I felt really bad. Like there was a potential. So basically, okay. So this, this could be spoilery things, but so if you don't want to have spoilery things, don't listen to this, but there's not tons because they haven't actually unlocked it. But basically what caused, there was something that caused the ghosts like it didn't just happen because I wanted a ghost encounter in this town. Like there is a reason of why this happened and what caused it. And I do know it. And I actually think it will come back into play later in the game. Um, It hasn't quite yet, but I think that it's going to come back. But I felt really bad for them because there was a potential for them to figure it out, but they just kind of weren't quite right. There was a couple things they didn't roll quite well enough on, but the things they did roll well enough on, like searching the wheat, um, like they just couldn't quite, they couldn't quite find any signs of like necromancy or like, you know, a necromancer like poisoning the field or the crops because that's not what caused it. Um, And I specifically know that like Rowan got told to go to the wheat and there might be a reason why he heard that. Um, so like, it, but it wasn't quite, it didn't quite lead to an obvious answer. So I, f- I felt like they were frustrated a little bit and they waited in town overnight. And maybe it was also because I was frustrated because I wanted them to get back on the road because there was a, an encounter that I had planned since like before the beginning of the campaign. Like when I was still coming up with some of the major milestones of like, you know, what would lead to what I, you know, 
I had this encounter planned and it was going back to my, it was going to be on the way back to Faye and, and they just wanted to stay in the town and find the source of the ghost and keep looking through the fields and keep talking to people and then look through the box and then go here and then camp overnight. And I was just like, oh my God, I felt frustrated because it's one of those things as a DM where it was the first time that I felt like I was kind of blue balling them where they like, come on, we're going to stay here and figure this out. And they just weren't looking in the right place. And um, I was like, I can't change what caused it. You know, I cannot change what caused it. And so I had to stick to that. And then they just kind of sat there overnight. And I mean, at least they knew the town was safe. And they got to see that Father Neri was out, like, trying to do patrols and stuff. And he he is a good person. He he's tries really hard to protect the people of Meyerfield from things like this. And so I kind of was happy that at least it got to showcase that, where he's not just assuming all is well. He's vigilantly, he's vigilantly trying to make sure that the ghosts don't come back. But yeah, overall, I felt really bad. They were, they really wanted to find out what it was and were so, and they were like, I guess it's nothing. That's so weird. It's like, yep, I know it's weird. Maybe it'll come back later. I don't know. Hopefully. I think it will though. I really think it will. Uh, There should be answers revealed eventually. Um, But yeah, on their way back, they wanted to go search for the bandits hideout and they did manage to find it. And so they got some money and they got some random loot. And, um, (laughs) oh my God, should I say this? I'll say it. This is, this is the, this is the content you all crave. You, you crave the behind the scenes stuff. So I knew what they would find in the bandits camp and there's some stuff in there that's a little bit more cluesy than others. But the big thing that is hilarious is they found this, they found some papers. And I remember Megan saying at the end of the session, I need to read those. Like, I'm going to read those. I'm like, okay. But then I forgot about it. And then between that session and everything, because I, I think she said she was going to try to do it during her downtime days or something like that. Um... But she completely forgot about it. And I completely forgot about it. And to this day, right now, we are um, in in the Guardians of Fahal campaign world. Um, we just recorded episodes 29 and 30. And they still haven't remembered that they have those papers lying around. <laughs> and it's just like, oh my gosh, should I remind them? Nope. It's up to them. They got to remember that shit. Um, and it's, yeah, so I just thought it was so, so funny. Oh my God. Anyway, so that was, that was, um, that was episode four, part two, The Haunting of Meyerfield. I mean, I feel like I'm a bit harsh on this episode and it's probably because like mostly the first half of it, I love all of it was great. It's just, I wanted them to get out of town and I was really excited for next, the the next encounter that they were going to face, which probably seems a bit strange if you're listened ahead and you're like, why are you excited about this? If you've only listened a little bit ahead, then maybe that will make sense. But if you've listened much, much further ahead, you might know why, but, um, it'll make sense. So thanks for listening guys. If you like these, please like them and share on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Westerverse. And also, you can find us on our website, www.thewesterverse.com. 
Um, but yeah, if you have questions, there's stuff that I didn't go over that you're more interested in, please leave a comment in Patreon. If you're listening to this in Patreon, you can leave a comment underneath the post or on social media when I share it. You can you can leave a comment or send us a message. Um, but yeah, next time I'm going to be talking about episode five, part one, A Chance Encounter. Thanks for listening. See you next time, adventures. <laughs> <laughs>